turn in God's Word to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We'll read again uh, verses 1 through 7 this evening. Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 7. And before we read God's Word, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that You are the God who is holy. We're thankful that You are the God who cares for Your people and thankful for Your Word. We plead that You would now give us Your Word and speak to us from heaven, even with these very words here, and grant us greater understanding and wisdom of who You are, who Your Son is even the eternally begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. And grant us that greater understanding and knowledge that we might live more devoted lives unto You with greater communion that we long for with You, and greater love and zeal for You. And so work in our hearts. We pray as well that You would Humble your servant, cause him to not speak any errors. And if he does, Father, we ask that you would grant us discernment, that we would go to the Scriptures and make sure what was said is true. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1, these are God's holy words. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lighted lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice for henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Those are God's words. So you remember where we are? Friends, Isaiah has been charged, along with the faithful in Judah, to ignore the counsel of the covenant breakers, to ignore the counsel of the unbelieving in Judah, to not join in with them, chapter 8, verse 12, uh, to not say, uh, to jo- not join with them and say a confederacy, and to go along with turning and desiring Assyria's help. As well, chapter 8, verse 19, not to turn to the spiritists, the magicians, the wizards, the necromancers to determine the future. 
But rather, they were to do what? Verse 13 of chapter 8, to come to the Lord, seek the Lord, and fear the Lord. And verse 20, go to the law and the testimony. Those who would go the false way that he warns against, they will be looking for answers and deliverance, wandering everywhere for safety, and they won't find it. And they will eventually, they'll curse their king and God, in which they are driven to darkness, or further darkness, because of their darkness. And yet we heard last uh, that, that word of hope in chapter nine, verse one, a couple of three Lord's days ago. Nevertheless, the dimness shall be such as was in her vexation when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. At those northern parts of the northern kingdom of Israel, the most corrupted and first to be judged, even in those places. There is hope. There is a light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ would come. And that's the promise of the verses we've read this evening in verses 1 through 7. And then we were given in verses 2 through 7 uh, more clearly the, the real deliverance from Israel and Syria, from Assyria, from Babylon. Judah's own sin, deliverance from Judah's own sin, deliverance from covenant breaking. Deliverance from all wickedness. And it's found, as we've heard in chapter 7 here, again, it's found in Emmanuel. God with us. That's Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, who is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now we're going this evening to study more in depth the person of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. We've studied that a little bit in chapter 7 and 9. And even in this passage, verse 6, studied who He is by His names that He's called. But now we must go into more depth for the sake of our own souls. Because the Lord doesn't want us only to be sanctified in our hearts and our affections or our emotions, but also in our mind. And so we need to learn more about Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? The first thing that we need to consider that we have already have in, 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 in a little bit is that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. If you were to consider just secular history, and uh, the, there, are, there are many non-Christian historians who are well-respected, and they testify of the one named Christ. Jesus, who, was once, who once walked on the earth. They testify about Him, even though they're not believers. But you should know, friends, that Jesus Christ first is God. He is divine. And He is as he says he is in Revelation, saying four times, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He even may say that he is not just the beginning, he is the beginner, because he's the creator of all things. He was there in the beginning with God. That's John 1. Hebrews 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Well, how can he be the author and the finisher of our faith, unless He was there in the beginning. And then unless He was God, and God eternally. He's the salvation of our souls. 2 Thessalonians 2. But we're bound to give thanks all the way to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's the author of our faith. He's the beginning. And in the beginning, He chose you, elected you unto salvation, Christian. Any Christian who will be a Christian, He elected unto salvation. 2 Timothy 1, it says, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to our own purpose, His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Before the world began. And He created the world. He is the beginner, decreed in eternity past. That is, He began before, before the beginning of time. Before there was time. He decreed and designed your happiness and your blessedness, Christian, for the praise of the glory of His grace. Ephesians 1, According as He hath chosen us in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. We have learned previously that Jesus is the Son of God, or God's Son. And He is, we learn in John's Gospel, the eternally begotten Son before all worlds, before creation. And yes, His being eternally begotten Son of God is under attack today, even in uh, some of our Bibles, the translations, they will say that famous, even this famous passage, John 3.16, that God gave His only Son instead of only begotten Son. There's a lot of doctrine and truth in that one word, begotten, that some seek to remove. And it's unacceptable to be removed. And so, friends, we're here studying, we're learning. As the Lord wants us to grow, as Solomon desired, so we ought to desire that the Lord would fill us with knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And so we're studying our Savior Jesus that we might have a greater love for Him and a greater communion with Him. Jesus is eternally begotten of the Father. And so we're here studying our Savior, the eternal generation of the Son. That's what we're studying this evening. The eternal generation of the Son. Another way to say that, the eternal begottenness of the, Father, of the Son from the Father. And Jesus is eternally begotten of the Father. What does begotten mean? It means simply fathered. That Jesus was fathered. To beget is to produce something or someone is begotten when it is, it's been generated. Take ourselves as imperfect examples, and we will always be imperfect examples of this. A natural son, you children, a natural son would be generated from the union of the father and the mother. right? His father and his mother. And so here we're describing the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. And that the Son is begotten, not made. You remember that phrase, hopefully, from the Nicene Creed. He is begotten, but He's not made. We're going to learn more about that this evening as well. That phrase you might recognize. Again, Nicene Creed. Jesus, friends, is God. We learn that He is 
a son. And as the son, he is the thing begotten. Jesus is God. He is fully, truly God, just as we hear in the catechism, kids. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And as it has to do with Jesus, who's the second person of the Trinity, that's Jesus. He's God. He is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And now, as we will say, He is God Himself without beginning, even as the Father. And we say in the Catechism, though our Catechism might not be the most precise language, but it is still true, He is the same in substance, equal in power and glory with the Father. But He is not of Himself but the Son of the Father, begotten of the Father. And so the Son is begotten of the Father as He is the Son. And some might, that you know, just starting to think about this, and this is the very beginning. This might be a little confusing. And you might scratch your head. And that's okay. That's perfectly okay. Because He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and yet He's... The Son of the Father, the only begotten of the Father. And we have to understand that in the sense of eternity, which we don't understand very well. And in, in, in the sense of infiniteness, and we don't understand that at all, really. But we ought to seek to learn more about our Savior, nonetheless, even if much of it might be confusing to us. And I'd encourage you, just one thing. Try to pick out one thing this evening, learn one thing, and then exalt Christ all the more with that one thing that you learn about Him. And that's the goal this evening. And so we continue. Jesus is Son. The Son is begotten of the Father. We ask the question, when is the timing? When is the timing of this generation? When is the timing of this begottenness? The timing has no beginning Middle or end? It is eternal. And therefore it is eternal before all worlds, all creation. This is one of the wonders in chapter 9, verse 6, of our Jesus, our Savior Jesus. How He is wonderful. That the Father begetting and the Son begotten are co-eternal. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that right there should make you confused a little bit. How the Word, Jesus, was with God, and yet the Word is God. And yet it is true nonetheless, right? The same was in the beginning with God. And then later it says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The only begotten who was with God and is God, even from the beginning. And we might say, for our sakes, from before the beginning and from eternity past. Those verses there are declaring the eternality, the eternality or the foreverness of the begottenness, the generation of the Son, Jesus Christ, in John 1. Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8. Solomon 
is speaking of the Redeemer Jesus Christ as the eternal Word and wisdom. The Word in John 1. And he says in Proverbs 8, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way. Before His works of old, I was set up from everlasting. That is, I was set up from not eternity, we think often eternity future. He is talking about uh, everlasting eternity past. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. From before that. And he's really saying, before time. And that's how best we perhaps can describe it. Before time. Before time ever was. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled. Before the hills was I brought forth. Well, as yet He had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. From eternity before the world was made, and any creatures were created, including the angels, He was. And He was brought forth by the Father. There was nothing but eternity. And in eternity, there was nothing but God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son of God from all eternity, was begotten. And so then how is it that Jesus is the eternally begotten Son of the Father? I think most of us can somehow grasp that yes, He is eternally the Son. He's eternally God. We can understand that perfectly fine probably. He's eternally the Son. But how is He eternally begotten? Son of the Father. As we did a few moments ago, we considered what begetting was. What was what is generating or uh, the eternal generation of the Son. And as we think of ourselves, there is that begetting that is subject to corruption. When we're thinking of ourselves, there is a begetting that is subject to corruption, alteration. There's something that in our begetting of our children, right, and our grandchildren, and so on and so forth. Uh, there is a subject to corruption, alteration in time. That describes all of us, but not Jesus. The other way is described in the, G- in the Scriptures of Jesus, the Son of God. A begetting that is spiritual and inward. Of His generation, of His begetting, there is no corruption. There is no alteration or time. And that is, again, hard to grasp. How can He be generated or begotten? Um, kids, we might say born. You're born of your mother your father, you know, of your mother and father. How can He be generated or begotten, but it not involve at least time? And here we respond, Romans 11 in part. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? Who hath first given to Him, that, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And yet we go back to the Scriptures and we learn some things. And that help us 
with understanding the eternal begottenness, the eternal generation of the Son. And so we praise Him for this truth because without it, friends, we can't be saved from our sins unto eternal life in Him. If we don't have the eternal generation of the Son, there is no salvation. And so it's in this doctrine that we hope. But as we consider the eternal generation of the Son, or His being eternally begotten of the Father, yet not made, we can take comfort that God has an excellent understanding, an infinite and perfect understanding of Jesus, His Son. He has the perfect understanding. And He must, for He is the one who grants understanding to us, and the one who grants it must have it himself. And, and uh, he is perfect in understanding. He is infinite understanding. He is, he is understanding. As it says in Proverbs 8 again, Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. He says, I have strength. I am understanding. Now, please consider this, for it is that the understanding of God is infinite, and it eternally, His understanding eternally acts. It continuously works. It has never not worked. It has never not acted. It's always been active. God's understanding. And this we know is clear because the very nature of the eternal God who is understanding, that understanding is an act, an action, that we might even say uh, is the first act. Or we could say, it is all one with the life of God. It is who God is. He is understanding. Now all life is active. Right? He is the, the first life, we could say. He is the first act. And He is, we know, uh, we know life. Life is always active. It is its very nature. Life is active. Always moving, always doing Always acting. It is not active when it dies. When there is no more life. And so with God, the chief life, the one who is life, all life is found in Him, and He is life, and as life is all found in Him, He is active. God is active. Always eternally. And so that one theologian says, what is the life of God but an essential property whereby the divine nature is in perpetual action. He's always living and always moving in himself, always acting. Jeremiah 38 says, So Zedekiah the king swears secretly unto Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord liveth, that made us this soul. And it goes on. The Lord liveth. A phrase the Lord uses throughout the Scriptures. Numbers 14. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's what the Lord says in Romans 14. For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And so friends, the understanding of God that's infinite, the understanding of God is active and working from all eternity. It's never not been. It's never not been active. It's always working. And so, friends, then you have to consider that God being active and working for all of eternity requires that there be some eternal object upon which He's acting upon. 
It has to be from all eternity some action or object that he's working and acting active upon. God's understanding acts eternally. There must be some eternal object. And if God, God's eternal understanding is perfect, we know it is. As we've shown, then the object acted upon must as well be perfect. It must be as well perfect. And who is that object but God Himself? It's God Himself who is acted upon. He's the object. And so not only do you have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this continual acting upon each of the persons, that perfect relationship and communion together that they have. Well, you see even in the Scriptures countless times, the only thing or being or anything that existed in eternity past is God. Even before the angels were created, it's God. For all eternity, He has been acting upon Himself. And this, we might say, is behind the eternal generation of the Son. That's what's behind the eternal generation of the Son. Maybe that gives you some understanding. Christ being eternally begotten of the Father. So what and who is the object? It is the Son of God. Friends, the understanding of the living God, which is eternal and infinite, always acting, acts and has acted for eternity upon Himself. Reflecting upon Himself. And so you consider, friends, when you think upon or meditate upon the creation and you look up at the stars at night, and there are times then you also think and meditate upon yourself. And as you think and meditate upon yourself, your soul, perhaps your nature, what you're like, and as you think upon yourself, you consider uh, some idea about yourself, an image in your mind about yourself. You conceive of yourself. And in this, there is not only physical conceiving or conception, but spiritual. You determine certain things about yourself. You might even say to someone else, I conceive this or that about myself. And you're saying, I have an idea, I have an image of, of this or that within my soul. Just like when you look in the mirror and you conceive, and you get an image of, this, uh, of your own face by the way of reflection. In the same way, God in beholding from eternity past always and considering Himself understanding, in His perfect understanding and Himself begat or conceived a most perfect, lively image of Himself, which very image is that of the Trinity, which we call in the Trinity the Son of God. And that's why the Scriptures we read about our mother conceiving us. Right, behold... I was shaped in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. That same word for conceiving, Proverbs 8, you go back to Proverbs 8, what Christ is talking about, or Solomon is talking about Christ. Proverbs 8 is used to describe Jesus, the Son of God. And His eternal generation, when it uses the words brought forth in the English translation, but it's used as the same word in Hebrew as conceive. It says there, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way, before His works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. In Hebrews 1, Jesus, the Son of God, is called uh, this, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image 
the express image of His person. But it's not an image that is unreal. It's not a reflection. But an image that is living, perfect, and eternal. He's always been. The express image of His person, thinking uh, an illustration of a wax seal, the old wax seal you put on an envelope, uh, so that God the Father is like the seal, and Christ the Son of God is like the impression resulting from the seal. And think about a wax upon the wax upon a seal. How it has the engraven image upon the seal. So that the Son of God, which the Father has begotten, or you might say conceived in His own understanding from all eternity and always was active and always has conceived this idea, this of, a, of His understanding is the very image of His Father's understanding. And so that not only is the Father, but also the Son, He is called understanding Himself. I am understanding. Whatever the Father is, the Son is indeed the understanding in men. And the thing understood are not usually one and the same, but in God it's all one. For God is one. Deuteronomy 6, God's conceivings and begettings are the most inward of all. The Father conceives of Himself and in Himself. And His conceiving is a begetting. And His begetting abides still in Himself because... There is nothing outside of Himself in eternity past. There is nothing suitable but Himself. Because He's all that there is at that time or in eternity past. So that the conceiving of Himself or the begetting of Himself is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the eternally begotten Son of the Father, Jesus Christ. And He's the only one. The only begotten of the Father. And so that's why the correct translation is important in our Bibles concerning the eternal generation of the Son. Jesus is being the eternally begotten of the Father. Not made. In Micah 5 verse 2, it is said of Christ according to His human nature that He is born in Bethlehem. But He has a greater begetting for it, says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though thou be a little, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is uh, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. He was born in Bethlehem, a God man, but he he was eternally begotten from everlasting of the Father. And friends, the titles of Jesus in Scripture also describe his, describe his eternally begotten, him being the eternally begotten of the Father. He is called the Son of God. Mark chapter one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if he's the Son of God, he can be nothing but eternally begotten of the Father. He is the Son begotten from God. Psalm 2, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day I have, have I begotten Thee. He is His own Son. Romans 8, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? He is the firstborn 
the firstborn, that is, He is eternally the firstborn. Colossians 1, which speaks of His being the image as well, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. And He is the first begotten. The first begotten, Hebrews chapter 1. And again, when He bringeth in the first begotten into the world, He saith, and let all the angels of God worship Him. He's the only begotten and the only begotten Son, which we read about in John 1, John 3 already. And so, friends, remember the following points. Jesus is the only, excuse me, the eternally begotten Son of the Father. He's always been the Son. And that's based in who God is from all eternity. And that's kind of the confusing part. But He's always been the Son. He's always been begotten of the Father. He's always been with God. He's always been God. Eternally. There has never been a point in all of eternity when Jesus was not the eternally begotten Son of the Father. And so He is certainly wonderful, friends. Verse 6. He's perfectly full of understanding, for He is understanding. And He's living. Isaiah chapter 9, 6, He is certainly wonderful counselor. And He is the eternally begotten Son of the Father in order to redeem us from our sins. And today you must come to Him. It is only through the eternally begotten Son of the Father who took on flesh, who lived for you, died for you, that you can have salvation, that that suffering that He gave on the cross, as we heard this morning, is of infinite value. That it's not only that uh, He can die for one and save one, but He can save all who come to Him by faith. It's because He's the eternally begotten Son of the Father. It's because He is eternally generated. The eternal begotten Son of the Father. Romans 10, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, and even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth, man, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You must come and believe on this eternally begotten Son, who is eternally generated from the Father. Of the Father. And so God so loved the world that He did what? He acted upon the Son. According to His eternal decrees for our sakes, He eternally generated Him. And according to His promise, He took Christ, His only begotten Son, that He eternally communed with, and He delivered Him over for us all. That we might... In the eternally begotten of the Father, Jesus Christ, we would have all things. We would have salvation. We'd have justification. 
We'd have the uh, effectual calling, justification. We'd have adoption. We'd have sanctification. We'd have glorification. We have all those things. And so what a, a great blessing it is to know the eternally begotten Son of the Father. And so you're called to come unto Him today. To God. Through Christ the Son, as John 3 again says, For as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so, the Son of Man must. Uh, may, uh, even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, come unto Him, whoever believes. He gives the promise. Whoever believes, you'll not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for this hard doctrine, confusing doctrine perhaps for for many of us. It's even confusing in many parts to myself. Uh, But Father, we know that You're the God who's infinite, eternal, and thankfully as well, unchangeable. And You have given us of Your eternally begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And we're thankful that You have delivered Him over for us all. And we pray that as You grow us in knowledge and understanding, Father, grow us in wisdom too, that we will believe all the more upon our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and love Him all the more, and love You, and love Your Spirit. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.